years before Gary Wright's hit song Dreamweaver was heralded as a landmark in electronic-based music, Sly Stone built a classic with a drum machine. Family Affair is such a warm, organic-sounding hit that it's easy to forget it's propelled by a drum machine. It was recorded for the album There's a Riot Going On, a record famous for its tension, turmoil, and darkness. Sly Stone, frontman and songwriter for the group Sly and the Family Stone, was teetering off the edge by the late 1960s. Drugs and depression were dominating Sly's life, and making a hip-hop record for the Family Stone in 1970 seemed like a tall order. Enter the Friendly Robot. Machines can be useful mediators of difficult human conflict, and drum machines are no different. The maestro rhythm king MRK2 was the backbone of the song Family Affair. This model of the rhythm king could not be programmed. It was only capable of playing back preset drum beats. And while many would find this feature limiting, Sly would use this to his advantage by mining rhythmic ideas from this simple, unassuming musical robot. With the help of rhythm guitarist and soul music genius Bobby Womack, keyboards by the fifth Beatle, Billy Preston, and the iconic backing vocal presence of his sister Rose, Sly Stone gave the drum machine its first hit in the funk world and unknowingly blazed a trail that so many would ride to songwriting greatness in the future. This episode is dedicated to the pop contribution of machines and what they teach us about ourselves as we've adopted them into our musical family. My name is Micah McKee. I'm a songwriter, and this is American 100. Broadcasting from the musical center of the universe into the vast stretches of the universe, this is American 100. Welcome to American 100, the show where we explore the random and not-so-random beauty of pop music. My name is Micah McKee, and this is my robot co-host and companion, Rando. Hello, humans. Rando, do you remember the Y2K hysteria? The idea that at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 2000, everything would just go to hell? Yeah, man, I was legit worried that my circuits would get all crazy and an electromagnetic pulse would shoot out of my eyes, laying waste to all of humanity's gadgets, and I would be the last robot standing. I could imagine that was a tough time for you. Yeah, especially the disappointment that it didn't happen. I mean, I'm glad it didn't happen. Yeah, same here. Well, at the end of the last episode, you randomized years and songs from the Billboard year-end Hot 100 chart for us to talk about today. And that year was 2000, and the chart spots were 34 and 6, which correlate with Sonique's It Feels So Good and Say My Name by Destiny's Child. So without further ado, let's take a trip back to the beginning and the end of a century, the year 2000. Robert Christgau once called the music of the 1990s richly chaotic, unknowable. 
While this certainly seems to be the case on the surface, I would argue that the chaos we often associate with the 1990s was measured and even premeditated. I grew up in the 1990s. It was the decade that I spent the most formative years of my existence and where I made many of my most awkward and painful memories. The music that provided the backdrop for this awkwardness was also often awkward. Hiya, Bobby. As mentioned on previous episodes of this show, the late 1990s were the swan song for the age of success of many time-tested musical movements. It was the last great age of the commercial singer-songwriter. Think of the massive popularity and influence of James Taylor and Carole King and compare it to the early records of Jewel and Tracy Chapman. While the singer-songwriter was a driving force in popular music in the back half of the 20th century, after the late 1990s, a songwriter armed with an acoustic guitar and thought-provoking lyrics would never again be as commercially successful. Maybe together we can get somewhere, any place is better. The ensemble vocal groups that would come to prominence in the 1950s and hit an absolute creative peak in the early and mid-1970s with bands like The Stylistics, The Dramatics, and The Shylights. This concept would have a new manifestation in the likes of Destiny's Child and NSYNC. And though disco seemed to have a certain death by the early 1980s, as it turns out, it was just transitioning into something different. By the late 1990s, club music had folded into itself and formed a cocoon of intelligent dance music, or IDM. It was in this cocoon that the underground stylings of the Prodigy and Aphex Twin came to life. This is songwriting based on mood, math, and digital romance. The boom of the information age spattered onto sheet music. Out of this cocoon, the underground success of electronica gave birth to the popularity of club music on a new scale. Thanks in no small part due to the power of the long, final exhale of the compact disc. Where do you go? Where do you go when you want today's hottest dance hits on one unbelievable album? You go for the ultimate with Arista's Ultimate Dance Party 1997. Never before has there been a dance collection with this many hits and this much heat. Over 70 minutes of My adolescence was filled with commercials like this, 
with CD compilations primarily marketing electronic dance music, much of it European in origin, to American teenagers and young adults. And it was here at the tail end of the 1990s, stretching into the year 2000, that Sonique's It Feels So Good would make its way onto the Billboard Hot 100. The song that British singer Sonia Clark, stage name Sonique, wrote in 1998 spent considerable time on the charts in the UK before making its way stateside. Its explosion onto the airwaves in America was the result of the reckless actions of a DJ who would play this song incessantly in clubs all over, you guessed it, Tampa Bay, Florida. Contrasting with the uber-positive-sounding melodies of the disco hits of the 1970s, like Hotline by The Silvers, this brand of dance music that some like to call trance dabbled in the realms of the minor key. The music itself is energetic, but the themes were helplessness, lovelorn fantasy, and surrender. Think Mary Shelley on ecstasy. The lyrical content is melancholy. Sonia Clark wrote, It's about this guy whom I really liked years ago, but who didn't return my feelings. He was very successful, and I wasn't at the time. And he thought that I was in love with his success. The song is really just a way of declaring that it was him that I liked. At the end of the day, though, this tune's objective is to engulf the club in a techno-rich haze amongst flashes of strobe lights and splashes of Zima. Or maybe it's supposed to be blared triumphantly in the CD player of your first car on the way back home from high school. Sonique's It Feels So Good makes the case that the music of the end of the 20th century wasn't exactly chaotic or unknowable, but a continuation of a long, multicolored thread. Coming up, the wonders of cooperation, you're listening to American 100.
Hola familia, Asher Griffith here. I'm a producer on this show and in general at Cicada Radio, and I'm here to announce with some restrained alacrity the drop of our first audio drama miniseries. Family Photos and Other Moments of Naked Truth is a story of a family torn asunder by a tragic death, written by C.A. Munn and directed by Maggie Tonra. Brought to you proudly by Cicada Radio in conjunction with the University of New Orleans Theatre Department, this show is completely produced by students with the exception of me. And there's sex, drugs, there's rock and roll, and that's because we only have your best interests at heart. Listen this Monday, November the 23rd at cicadaradio.com slash family photos or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. The ability to collaborate successfully with others is truly a blessing. One of the experiences I miss the most from the pre-COVID world is sitting in a studio with a bunch of like-minded musicians and coming up with ideas, some good, some not so great, but reveling in the madness and joy of cooperation and collaboration. The practice of collaborations between titans of popular music came to prominence in the jazz era. It was not only common for prominent jazz greats to collaborate with each other, it was a selling point. In the jazz world, regardless of how much you might differ with the band leader or your bandmates, creative input is encouraged. As long as every band member is working towards the same goal of achieving the full vision of the composition, then bring on the ideas. Some of jazz's most rewarding moments were when musical innovators came together to create pastiches of technique and emotion, such as the famous Miles Davis quintet of Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. There would be many iterations of the Miles Davis Quintet, but this one is my favorite. The ability of these seemingly disparate personalities to come together and create something cohesive is remarkable. Why didn't you keep the first? I got the first one. Oh, it's hot. You try. Stand up and sing. Yeah. Stand up. Okay. Right. We often think of American pop music icon and future rock and roll Hall of Famer, Beyonce Knowles, as a singular figure. But one of Beyonce's chief skills as a songwriter, performer, and cultural ambassador is her awareness of the power of collaboration. 
As a singer-songwriter, she has collaborated with dozens of artists. Alicia Keys, Mary J. Blige, Missy Elliott, Justin Timberlake, Luther Vandross, Andre 3000, Shakira... Beyonce's collaborations with other artists has helped drive home her relevance as well as kept her own work fresh and evolving. And she has a keen understanding of the collaborative musical effort. After all, it's how she started. Dog John, nah, nah. Say my name, say my name. If no one is around you. Say baby, I love you. You ain't one in game. Say my name, say my name. You acting kind of shady. Ain't calling me baby. Destiny's Child's Say My Name was released in America on February 29th, 2000 and was number six with a bullet on the Billboard year-end Hot 100 chart of that year. In terms of a collaborative effort, it certainly stands out as there are seven songwriting credits attached to it, more than any other song on that year's Hot 100. This was not an easy song to write. Band leader Beyonce was originally approached with a beat constructed by superstar producer Rodney Jerkins, better known as Dark Child. She had to figure out a way for a six-piece vocal group to fit into a space that sounded something like this. This instrumental is totally crazy, frenetic, and I love it. But Beyonce, who was just 18 at the time, said she thought it sounded like a jungle. It was frustrating to have so much going on in this track. So what did she do? Well, after a photo shoot, she delegated the harmonies. She played off of the syncopated synthesized 808 drums. She worked with the beat instead of against it. Challenged by the jungle, she became the foliage. And suddenly the song doesn't seem as cluttered or as busy as it does layered and engaging. Destiny's Child was full of young talent, and that was the key to cracking the code of Say My Name. Most other bands with an older median age range would have gotten impatient with the composition that Dark Child brought to the table. But Destiny's Child's youth freed them from the creative perils of jaded rock stars and opened them up to the power of collaboration among exigent demands. They were able to be clever and adventurous with this track, and Beyonce Knowles, much like the jazz greats of the past, had the incredible gift of perceiving the potential of togetherness within a uniquely challenging set of sonic circumstances. This is to say nothing of the buoyancy of the mind-bendingly catchy hook at the song's center. The genius of it is twofold. 
It distills the hyperactivity of the pre-choruses into a mantra that functions like a melodic wheel. It's so cyclical and simple that anyone can sing it. Any one of Destiny's Child's multiple singers and anyone at home. It was the most successful single from the album The Writings on the Wall. And Billboard named it the best song of the year 2000. It cemented Destiny's Child as the last of the great girl groups and a rightful heir to the musical scepter gilded and wielded by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Say My Name teaches us that when great minds come together, creative possibilities can turn into promising realities. And that if you can pull off a song with seven writers, there is no such thing as too many cooks in a kitchen. Coming up, we're going to talk to Rando about his top five robot songs. You're listening to American 100. Hey folks, thanks for listening to American 100. I'm Micah McKee and I wrote the original music for this show and produced it along with Asher Griffith. And if you like content like this, then uh, think about dropping something in our jar. Head over to patreon.com slash cicada radio. Even a pledge of as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. We do this show because we love music and we love radio. So head to patreon.com slash cicada radio and uh, help us out if you can. Thanks. Welcome back to American 100. You know, we like to discuss music with other humans on this show, but we rarely seek out the opinion of machines. With advancements being made in AI every day, the opinion of thinking machines is something we are likely to face in the near future. But why wait? We've got our very own in-studio robot, Rando, and today we're going to get into his top five favorite songs about robots. I'm so happy you asked me to do this segment, Micah. A lot of people don't consider my thoughts on pop music because I'm a robot. But as you'll see, we have plenty of feelings on the matter. Let's get into it. Uh, This is Rando's top five songs about robots. Number five. This is 1978's Cybernetic Surgery by the Cybermen. They were a British punk group at the uh, dawn of punk and new wave. Uh, What can you tell us about this, Sarando? Well, this record is pretty hard to find. Um, You can find it online, but... There's not a lot out there by this band, which is cool. I'm pretty into obscure British punk. Yeah, you can actually find this on a compilation called Raw and Rare British Punk Volume 2 on Cowhand Records. Have you ever had cybernetic surgery before, Rando? Every time I come back from an interdimensional vacation, it's really annoying. It's hard to find a good robot doctor. 
right, Rando, what you got for number four? Number four. From the year 2000, we've got Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part 1 by The Flaming Lips. The Flaming Lips are one of my favorite bands. They're psychedelic and off the wall, but also really heartfelt and emotional. The name is Yoshimi. She's a black belt in karate. Yeah, this is a good entry, Rando. Um, Yoshimi uh, is named for the drummer of the band The Boredoms, a Japanese psychedelic pop rock band who is also pretty great. Yeah, the one thing I don't like about this song is the stereotypical evil robot trope. Sure, we've got a few bad apples, but not all robots are evil. I know this to be true, and you are definitely proof of that, my friend. All right, what we got for number three? Number three. All right, so I really want folks at home to hear this tune because it is just wild. From 1960, this is Robot Man by Connie Francis. Yeah, this song is really short. You gotta let the audience hear most of this. So I think I understand the sentiment here. Yeah, it's that robots are better lovers and more dependable than human beings. And I'm not going to argue with you. That's a fun tune. What's next? Number two. This is 1979's Our Friends Electric by Tube Way Army. Yeah, you might recognize the voice in this song. It's Gary Newman. Yeah, Gary Newman, uh, who would later write the song Cars, uh, this was his band. Great use of synthesizers here. You know how much I love synthesizers. Yeah, synthesizers would become a big part of Gary Newman's sound, and it was accidental, mostly. He found synthesizers lying around the studio when he made this album. Now it's time for your number one song, Rando. What is your number one song about robots? Number one is Rocket by Herbie Hancock. 
Yeah, this song is very popular with uh, breakdancers, and you can you can do the robots to this song. Yeah, this is a good one. This is from 1983's Future Shock, and Herbie Hancock has always been an amazing innovator. But this was his big foray into the world of hip-hop, uh, early hip-hop, with the help of turntablists such as Grandmaster Kaz and inspiration from the great Africa Bombada. Yeah, this music video portrays robots in a very positive light, which I appreciate. And it's just such a great groove. Herbie Hancock, what an amazing titan of music. Not just jazz music, but all kinds of music. Thank you for sharing this with us today, Rando. It's been a pleasure uh, just getting to know what your favorite songs are. The pleasure is all mine. All right, Rando, it's that time again. It's time to choose the year and the two spots on the Billboard year-end Hot 100 list to talk about on the next episode. Commencing randomization. The year 1989 and the numbers 5 and 41. Which correlate with Miss You Much by Janet Jackson and The Lover and Me by Sheena Easton. American 100 is produced by myself, Micah McKee, along with Asher Griffith, and is, of course, presented by Cicada Radio. And since we talked about cooperation earlier in the show, I want to close with the song by a band that epitomized the power of the collective. That band is ironically called War, and the song is Cisco Kid. From all of us at American 100, thanks for listening, and always keep a song in your heart. This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.